The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, I'm delighted to have as my guest, Dr. Beata Ritz. She is a physician with a PhD. She is a vice chair and professor in epidemiology, a professor of environmental health sciences and neurology at UCLA School of Public Health. Dr. Ritz, welcome. Thank you, Melinda. I wanted to have you on, Dr. Ritz, because I'm intrigued by your research that looks at, well, for the past 15 years, investigating the long-term effects of pesticide exposures on Parkinson's disease and cancer. And I know that you're currently working on a project that will implement some sort of Parkinson's disease registry. And I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about how you got started or how this interest evolved. Yeah, I have been doing Parkinson's disease research now for more than 15 years in California. And I'm actually a German physician who got this epidemiology degree at UCLA because the reason why I wanted to actually be in California is because California has implemented many laws and monitoring systems over the last 30, 40 years that no other state has. We have excellent air monitoring, and we have also what is known as the pesticide use report system. So these are especially the pesticide use report system that was implemented in the early 1970s is absolutely unique. No other place in the world has this. And what it does is it requires every agricultural applicator who professionally applies pesticides, fungicides, herbicides to their fields to exactly report what they apply and where they apply it. And Because of new technology, computer-assisted technology for geocoding and for map making, I was actually able to use this data in an electronic manner so that we can map all these types of exposures and can see where people lived and then connect the dots. Mm -hmm. And Parkinson's disease is the second most common neurodegenerative disease in the elderly, and it's quite devastating. And one of my former bosses uh, at a hospital that I worked at actually had Parkinson's and I saw him every day and I saw how he, in front of my eyes, became a very old man within only two or three years. And it really gripped me to try to find out what could cause such a disease. Mm -hmm. And there were lots of stories abounding that actually Parkinson's is more common in rural populations, even though Normally, rural populations are so much more healthy, mm-hmm. and and that it could be the influence of pesticides because pesticides are known neurotoxins. Mm. I mean, we are producing them so that we can kill insects or kill funguses, etc. Mm-hmm. And especially when we kill insects, what we are targeting most of the time is their nervous system. 
And that very primitive nervous system has very similar kinds of mechanisms that we still have in our human brain and are still using. And so if we poison the insects, we can just as well poison our own nervous system. And that is quite well known, and there are tons of animal studies showing that that's the case. But what nobody knew at the time when I started this was whether it wasn't just a uh, acute effect and you would feel all sorts of acute toxic effects like nausea and and blurred vision, et cetera, et cetera, or whether if you get lower doses over a very long time, you might actually kill slowly neurons in your brain that contribute to Parkinson's disease. And that's what I set out to study. Hmm, that's very interesting. So are there certain times during our growth and development when exposure to these pesticides are especially dangerous? Well, I think that it is very dangerous for pregnant women to be around any kind of toxin, especially neurotoxins, mm-hmm. and probably at the end of pregnancy worse than any other time for the neurodevelopment of the child. But if you're exposed in early pregnancy, you could develop burst effects. And I and one of my students have actually looked at burst effects and neural tube defects, and and we did identify quite a few pesticides that seem to have contributed to that. So it, it really depends on what stage of pregnancy you might be exposed to, what kind of outcome you would have. So if you're exposed in early pregnancy, you might see more burst effects. If you're later in pregnancy, you might have preterm births or neurodevelopmental problems. But none of these findings have been powerful enough to convince the Environmental Protection Agency, for example, to ban any of these products. That's not completely true. We have banned a few products. Okay. Uh, for example, DDT is banned, right? Right. <laughs> because it accumulates in the environment and does all sorts of harm to the ecosystem as well as humans, probably. Oh. And EPA did ban the indoor u- use of chlorpyrifos in 2000 and also the use of a number of potential carcinogenic agents. The problem is that as soon as one agent is banned, another one is developed. <laughs> so, yeah. And then we need years of research in animals and in humans to show that, yeah, maybe this is not a good idea because even though we thought it was a good idea, it actually can harm humans. Mm-hmm. And that is very tricky because, for example, the one agent that I'm finding in my studies that usually contributes in context with other agents, together with other agents, to Parkinson's is an herbicide. It's actually the worldwide most used herbicide called Paraquat. Right. And we don't know yet whether Paraquat alone can cause Parkinson's, but certainly in together, in combination with Monep and Zyram, we see threefold and higher increases in Parkinson's if you've been exposed to both or all three of these agents. The interesting part of that is that paraquat is an herbicide, meaning a weed killer. Yes. It's not supposed to harm the human nervous system, right? Yeah, right. But clearly, paraquat is actually used by many people in developing nations to commit suicide, and those are horrible deaths. It's acutely poisonous, but what we don't know about it is what it does to our brain if we're exposed at very low levels over very long periods of time. And my studies are some of the first to show that there is a potential long-term neurotoxic effect. 
Do you think that this product should be banned? I think it is very harmful, and yes, we should consider banning it, but normally nothing gets banned when just one study shows effect. Right. Normally what we need is a whole story that animal models are developed, and actually for Paraquat and Manip there are animal models, and then a few human studies show effects as well, and then a expert consensus committee gets together and says, yeah, we believe that this is really harmful. And that's what happens at EPA, and yes, EPA should consider looking into this. Now, one of the papers that you published in 2009 had to do with well water consumption and Parkinson's disease in rural California. Did you find that the Paraquat and Manib persist in the environment and end up getting into our groundwater? Actually, it was more some other kinds of pesticides that are more likely to be in well water. What we did is we looked what was applied around wells. We knew where people had lived and people had reported using wells. And these are private wells. They're not public wells. Mm -hmm. And among the private well users, and it's tricky with private wells because they're often not as deep as public wells, so they more easily are polluted by introduction of runoff from fields. Mm -hmm. And... When we looked at what was applied on the fields that we thought were around these wells over the last 30, 40 years, we identified a number of pesticides that we also knew are water-soluble, and that wasn't specifically paraquat. Paraquat had a very small contribution to that. We don't think it's really in well water, but it was a number of other agents that came to the top there. So it's, it's a little tricky because we're really dealing with potentially 640 chemicals that are widely applied in the Central Valley of California. And we really need to parse out which ones are the most harmful and which ones might not be as harmful or not harmful at all. Mm -hmm. And as if it isn't hard enough to find out what each of those 640 chemicals do, then we've got these combination of chemicals, as you mentioned earlier. I wonder sometimes if we're ever going to tease out enough evidence to fully ban the chemicals that should be? Well, that is quite true because you might look at one chemical alone and you just don't see anything, right, in, mm -hmm. a, in a human health study or even an animal study. And then if you combine it with something else, you see that mm, those two together <laughs> make quite a toxic brew. Exactly. And, yeah, and we have to try out all sorts of combinations. I mean, we have 600-some chemicals, and then we have endless numbers of combinations we might have to look at. And that's quite tricky, and even more tricky is that as soon as we phase out an old chemical, maybe not even because it has a health effect, but because the insects are now resistant to the chemical, right? which is more often the case, right? That's, yes. that's the reason for phase out. Yes. Then we have to deal with the next chemical coming on the market and trying to figure out whether that is causing disease and we have to wait another 10 or 20 years before we know, yeah, it did poison people. Yes. It's a bit of a bad story there but because we're always behind. Mm -hmm. And you also looked at a different category of chemicals, and you'll have to correct me or help me understand which chemicals fall under this umbrella, but you looked at the effects of agricultural organophosphate exposure on Parkinson's disease. The organophosphate compounds, does that include the manib and paraquat, or are those different? No, those are completely different. Oh, my. 
Yeah, paraquat is an herbicide. Monep is a fungicide. Right. The fungicide prevents growth of fungus. And they are actually mostly used in vineyards and in fruit plantations because of the fungus issue. Yes. The OPs, the organophosphates, are insecticides. I see. And they are very volatile and they are often in the air. And you can measure them miles away from applications. And that makes them quite problematic. Also what makes them problematic is that they really are no neurotoxins and you have a lot of even acute effects from these agents. One of the studies that you did also looked at children and the incidence of leukemia. I wonder, as a physician, do you think there are more childhood leukemias today than there that's were a, years ago? That's that's a very good question. It's not an easy one to answer. I mean, we have to look at all sorts of things that can cause leukemias. And while some risky agents may increase in the environment, others may go down. So you may not see a difference in the rates. Mm-hmm. So I'm usually not impressed by numbers of disease that go up or down because that can be influenced by so many different things. Right. What I'm more interested in estimating as an environmental epidemiologist is really where is exposure and does this exposure in this population contribute to the risk of that disease? Mm-hmm. And I try to do that with the best exposure assessment and the best databases I can get. Luckily, in California, we have quite good cancer registries. Mm. What we do not have is a working Parkinson's registry or a working registry for any of the the other neurodegenerative diseases. Mm. And that is quite problematic because you don't even know how to start studying a disease if you can't identify the cases. Right. Right. Right? Yes. So what we had to do in order to do my study over the last decade is kind of create our own registry system, which is multiple times more expensive and takes a lot longer than if any kind of registry were in place. Mm-hmm. Because then you, you can target people with that disease as a researcher, send them a letter, invite them, Finding these patients is very, very difficult. It's doable. We did it. But it takes a long time. That's why my research took more than a decade. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Dr. Beata Ritz. She's a physician, and she holds a vice chair and professorship in epidemiology at UCLA's School of Public Health. She received her MD and a PhD in medical sociology from the University of Hamburg in Germany, which explains her delightful accent. I was interested in speaking with Dr. Ritz because of her research over the past 15 years that looked at the effects of pesticide exposures on Parkinson's disease. Dr. Ritz, one of the issues that seems to be troublesome is that there are population groups in California and certainly all over the country that are immigrant populations, they're low income, they're not empowered, they either don't have access to health care or they feel frightened to use the health care system. Perhaps there's a tendency to under-report in those pockets of immigrant populations. Is anybody keeping track of disease incidents among individuals who are most likely to be exposed the most to these chemicals? That is a really good question and a very important topic. 
And indeed, when I was starting my Parkinson's research, what I found is that we found very few Hispanic Parkinson's cases. And I started talking to the physicians, and physicians who treated Parkinson's patients told me, well, there are two reasons. One is they cannot afford the health care. I see some people walking down the street. Sometimes they even offer care, but they don't come because they're afraid to get a bill. And the other reason is that when you're elderly and you start being disabled with a disease like Parkinson's, you really need relatives or people taking care of you. So I think that the older immigrants often returned to Mexico, and we just didn't see the effects on them anymore. Mm -hmm. This may now change because more and more people who immigrated at some point and worked in the fields are actually staying So we might see diseases that we would expect in these populations that are highly exposed to increase over time. But it will also put quite a burden on the healthcare system that has to take care of these patients, of course. Absolutely. I fear that sometimes when we make dietary recommendations or our overall farm or agricultural policies really don't take into account the full cost accounting of using some of these chemicals to produce food. And the response is always, well, we have to raise food with these chemicals because if we don't, we won't be able to feed the world. How do you respond to those kinds of comments? I think those are a little bit of the easy comments to make. I mean, somebody found an industrial way of producing food, and of course that's very lucrative and it's a business, and yes, it does feed a lot of people, but I think there are probably a lot smarter ways of integrated pest management and alternatives that could be used that would not expose humans. And I think it's always an easy cop-out to just say, but we have to. (laughs) And we have so many creative scientists and so many creative engineers, I'm sure we can come up with better methods. Absolutely. If you were to change farm policy, you know, we're looking at the farm bill right now, knowing what you know about the links between pesticide exposures and and Parkinson's disease and other diseases, what would you like to see happen with regard to our agricultural system? Well, what I really would hope is that they would turn to alternate newer systems of integrated pest management, for example, that are using predatory insects or other types of controls for pests. That may make food more expensive, in the short term, but I think in the long term, it would really improve our health. When you're looking globally, then you have to ask also, well, what is happening in other countries? And actually, just one of my articles was published this week, and I got an email from an Indian worker in a plant that actually produces these agents, and he was very concerned about the workers' health, and I think he was rightfully concerned But you also have to be concerned about the users of these same products in these countries and then the food that we probably import from these countries. Right. So I, I think we can't say, well, it's happening in other countries, it won't hit us. Since we have such a global economy and we are importing from all over the world, whatever is applied and is cheap to use in other countries, and if we are a bad example, they will certainly follow it, right? then um, there's no way to to break out of these habits. Right. Now, you mentioned the pesticide use report earlier in our conversation. Is that funded by the U.S. Department of Agriculture or the California Department of Agriculture? 
It's funded by California, by the state of California. And with budget crunches all over the country, but certainly California is suffering, is that one of the reporting systems that might be on the chopping block? I think again and again they try to chop it at some level. Yes. And so far we've been lucky that it hasn't been chopped. But, yes, I mean, it's always, I can imagine that it becomes a target Yes. by proponents who want to get rid of this system, saying it's too costly, we shouldn't do this, but it's an incredible system to actually follow up on health effects in this population. You mentioned something very interesting about how you can monitor through this reporting system the uses in the Central Valley of California especially. What about those individuals who are working in the factories producing these compounds? Has anybody looked at those individuals in terms of having higher risk for Parkinson's? Actually, Parkinson's is a relatively rare disease. Mm -hmm. Luckily, in the population, 1% of elderly get it. And we do not see that you get it much earlier than age 50 or 60. So if you would look at a worker population, you have to wait a long time until people get to that age. Yeah. And the companies that produce it may have 300, 400, 1,000 workers. But just from, I mean, Parkinson's, the normal rate in the population is about 15 per 100,000. So you wouldn't even expect one case, right, Mm -hmm. in a very small company that produces these agents. However, if you have many of these plants all over, you could try to get access to them and do a health study in these companies. But being an occupational and environmental epidemiologist, I know how much companies try to not give you access to their workers. Exactly. Because they're afraid of lawsuits. They, you know, it's, um, you're, you're disturbing their, their production. Mm-hmm. I went online and did a little research on Paraquat and Maneb, and I was reading about some of the warnings that should be followed, right? Yeah. The, the clothes washing. I mean, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, my gosh, I'd be frightened to use this product. How many agricultural workers follow these cautionary statements? Here's, for example, users should wash your hands before eating, drinking, using tobacco or using the toilet. Remove clothing immediately if pesticide gets inside. Then wash thoroughly and put on clean clothing. And I'm thinking about the agricultural workers that you know, if they're lucky they have access to toilets and hand-washing facilities, they really are at greater exposure risk. Oh, yes. There's no question about that. And then imagine working in the heat and sweating, and even if you spill something on your clothing and you can't, you know, take it off right away, when you're sweating, you're you're much more likely to take uh, your pores are open to take anything up through your skin. So skin uptake is a, quite some issue, And unless you are wearing protective clothing that's true protective clothing and not just some cotton sheet that once it's trenched and and next to your skin allows the skin to absorb everything, you might be quite exposed. And yes, you're completely right. I doubt that there are washing and cleaning facilities next to every field when they're spraying. And are there any laws in California that would hold the farm owners accountable to protect their workers? Yes, there they are. And there are actually also re-entry into field laws. And yes, 
the the farm owners are responsible for observing these kind of rules and regulations, but it's like with every workplace regulation, some people do it well and others don't care as much. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that you just had a paper published. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Where is your research going? You mean my future research? Yes. Well, what we are doing right now is collect more Parkinson's patients because we cannot study the rarer exposures as well as these very common exposures. For example, we were lucky, or the, the workers are unlucky and the people are unlucky who live there, but paraquat is used so widely that 40 to 50% of the population is exposed at some point. But there are some agents that are used not as much but might be just as toxic, and we need larger groups of people to study in order to see whether they are also harmful in humans. So we continue with this research and look into different types of agents with new patients and control groups. And what I'm also trying to identify are subgroups of patients or humans actually in the population that are more susceptible, more sensitive to these types of exposures. Mm-hmm. Because clearly not everybody who's exposed comes down with Parkinson's disease or any other type of disease like this. And we believe now that you probably have to have some kind of genetic susceptibility that causes you to be the one for whom a certain toxin is even more toxic than for your neighbor. Mm-hmm. We just have a couple of minutes left, and I'm wondering, is there anything that I perhaps neglected to ask you that you'd like to share with our listeners about your work? I think we pretty much touched on everything. We touched on the well water, so so really there are different routes of exposure, and water could be one, but uh, the other route of exposure is if you're living close to agricultural applications, if you're working close to agricultural applications, or even if there's a lot of wind, a lot of dust that is being introduced in your home, you probably have to be a little more careful. And certainly if you grow your own vegetables in your garden and then agriculturally on the fields next to it, there's a lot of spraying, you would also be worried. And I would encourage every hobby gardener to also be very careful about what they use in their gardens, especially fungicides. And also be very careful of so-called organic pesticides Hmm. because the one that we actually think is one of the worst is an organic pesticide. It's called rotenone, and it's used on tomatoes and roses. And this is the agent that if you treat mice with this agent for a few months, you make these mice Parkinsonians. And it's very well known, and this pesticide comes from the root of an African tree and therefore it's called organic and is even produced under that label and marketed under that label. So be careful that not everything organic is truly good for you. That's good advice. And I just want to ask you, do you have a website that you would recommend people go to to get more information about this topic? I don't know a website right now that would inform you about Parkinson's and pesticides. Whenever we have a paper, we usually get a lot of press, but there isn't really a website. There are, however, several websites that inform you about pesticides. Do you like the Pesticide Action Network of North America? 
Yes, that is a good one. Okay. Well, yeah, I want to thank you, Dr. Ritz, so much. Our time is up, but I'll make sure our listeners have access to that website. We've been speaking with Dr. Beate Ritz. She's a physician with a Ph.D. in epidemiology. She received her M.D. and Ph.D. in medical sociology from the University of Hamburg, Germany, and her work is focused on the effects of pesticide exposures on Parkinson's disease. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Ritz, for your work. It's so valuable for preventing disease. And I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you again, Dr. Ritz.